This episode of the Carolina Weather Group is about lightning, and the video contains flashes of light that could trigger seizures in people with visual sensitivities. As an alternative, you can listen to the Carolina Weather Group podcast on your favorite audio device. And good evening. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Happy to have you this evening. Tonight, we're joined by... Uh-oh. Did we lose him? We did, <laughs> and I'm just going to roll with it. James Briarton here in Charlotte. And for those of you who are listening to our pod, if we leave this in the edit, that was Scotty's third attempt at starting the show. So we think we're just going to roll here. I got Frank straight in Columbia. And as uh, you may have seen, if the internet gods are with us, Scotty Powell from Myrtle Beach. Oh, hi, Scotty. Hey, I'm, I'm back. You can hear hi. me now. We can hear you now. <laughs> who knows what's going on? <laughs> Did you want to introduce our guest? I can, but now it says my internet. Oh, now it says the internet's back. So hopefully you can hear me. But uh, we are joined tonight by Dr. Christopher Schultz, who is a scientist with NASA, who kind of does a little bit of weather as well as we are talking about tonight. NASA has uh, created a new lightning viewer. Uh, from the NASA Sport Division. So we're going to find out what that is. But uh, basically, we all know in the summer months, lightning is the biggest factor that we have to consider. I think he was going to say consider. And uh, I think he was going to ask you, Chris, about ooh, the research you guys are doing. I just want to I want to make the obvious joke that I am not an athletic or sport person. But since NASA, I learned tonight, has a what I'll call sports division, I'm all game for it. So what is NASA's sport for those of us who haven't heard of it? So NASA sport is the short-term prediction and research transition center. And so what our role is, is to take the great NASA data that we collect and put it in the hands of people that need to make decisions. And so a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our goal is to help understand the problems that are out there, whether that's in the community with the national weather service or emergency management, and do we have a solution that with some of the NASA data we're using? So we walk hand in hand with the with the folks making decisions and tailor products so that they um, they can have investment in how the product ultimately looks. I see the website has a lightning viewer on it. I will screen share for those who are watching the Carolina Weather Group this week and audio podcast listeners can check this out in the links as well, too. Uh, but I can see some of the lightning data that is coming out of uh, the data that you guys are collecting. What type of data is it that you're collecting and, and what can I practically do with it, Chris? The data comes from the geostationary lightning mapper, uh, the data that you just showed, the st our stoplight product. And so we know that a lot of the lightning safety metrics are rooted back in the 1980s when the National Lightning Detection Network was developed. And so one of the things in talking with our emergency management partners is they had a pretty good idea on how to put out a warning whenever lightning occurs within their area of interest. One of the challenges they had is how to remember when that 30 minutes elapse, or that 30 minutes elapses that we use for safety metrics. And so with the launch of the, the GOES series, GOES R series in 2016, what we're able to do is we're able to see lightning in two dimensions which is a little bit different from what you see on TV typically and what you see on your phone, which are the point data sets. And so what, where we're able to map, you can map the threat and understand when lightning was last, last overhead. And so now people can easily look at a viewer and say, okay, well, we're closing in that 30 minute safety rule. I can maybe start to think about resuming my outdoor activities versus 
what sometimes happens, it stops raining, people go about out too early, and then they get hit by lightning. What we know in the safety world, for, I work on the National Lightning Safety Council, we see the most injuries and fatalities at leading up to the storm before it rains and just after it stops raining, where people know that it's, they're, they're not thinking about the lightning threat because it is raining outside. So um, that is kind of what the, the goal of this product is, is to be able to take those, those great geostationary data and put it in a tool that everyone can use. Pause, my wife is calling. Absolutely, I was gonna let you do that. So my kid is at soccer practice and my wife just called saying that they're caught on, they, they, they proactively went to the car, but the coach is trying to find a place for the kids whose parents aren't there. So. Is this, and I don't mean this ironically, is it lightning related? Yes. How we crazy. <laughs> I had the text. Uh, All good. All the good. Coach, uh, the coach, right? So ironic, right? But that's the point here is that, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to not only provide tools that people can understand where the thread is and where it's moving, but if, you dig around a little bit more on the lightning viewer side, we actually have a little tool that we've used some machine learning processes to proactively predict lightning in the next 15 minutes. And so what we're, that's the one thing we're really trying to do is move forward is rather than be reactive where thunder roars go indoors as if the thunders outside, can we use the, the science that we know from the last 40 years of observations to say, okay, these conditions are present you have a, a likelihood of lightning here in the next 15 minutes. And so that's kind of where we're trying to advance within sport with the tools that we have to help people make decisions before they get caught in the, in the threat. Chris, you were just mentioning about those stats about lightning, where the data shows that folks who are struck by lightning, the majority get struck before it rains or after it rains and not necessarily when it's raining. Uh, we've done shows here, James, just last month at Charlotte, I do support for NASCAR events. And we always say we hate the lightning delays because it's not technically raining. So you can suggest, you can tell people, hey, you need to seek, seek shelter, but a lot of those people don't seek shelter until they actually feel the rain as, as the rain's the actual threat that uh, that makes people seek shelter instead of the lightning. And so, you know, with what you guys are, are working with, that hopefully will help sports teams and, and concert goers and things like that to say, hey, you know, we see the ingredients that lightning is possible in this particular area. So I, I can see where the, that data really you know, I can support that because I see with my own eyes, people really don't take action until it's raining. And by then it's too late. Right. And and that's the, and that's the challenges. And then they seek shelter under the closest object sometimes, not knowing that, that the tree or the pavilion are not safe places to be. And then they're kind of stuck. Um, and so that's that's kind of the message that we've been focusing on with the safety council. So you can have lightning strike up at 10 miles outside of where it's raining. And so if you're able to hear the thunder, you should head indoors. And that that's why it's always been said, thunder roars go indoors. So Chris, uh, there are apps out there, some of which are paid for like Radar Scope on the night we're recording tonight. You know, I've got my subscription that I paid for. I can see lightning data coming in there. But what you guys are providing on the NASA Sport website is is free to the public, right? So is this something that without anyone paying a dime for, can they can go and access this information in the palm of their hands? 
Right. So the the GLM stoplight in there, if you go to the other layers tab, there's something called flash extent density. It is fully available. What it does not tell you is exactly where the lightning is hitting the ground. And so what we advocate for is using two different types of lightning data where you've got them spatial mapping with instruments like GLM. And then you have the cloud to ground data points from the, their various vendors. And with those tools combined, you can see the extent of the lightning and exactly where it's coming to ground. And that will keep you the best informed on where that lightning is. GLM cannot tell you where it's coming to ground, but the ground networks can. Ground networks can't really tell you the spatial extent. So if you're able to layer those together, you're, you're maximum potential. In addition to satellites that are orbiting and looking for lightning, is it true that there's also sensors on the International Space Station that are watching for those things? So we have a, a lightning imaging sensor on the International Space, Space Station right now. It is orbiting the Earth about every 90 minutes. And so what we're doing is we're seeing what higher resolution observations provide for future sensors. And so the nominal um, uh, resolution of the GLM is eight kilometers. The lightning imaging sensor is about four kilometers. It's a little bit closer. You see a little bit more detail. You get a little bit different view of each lightning flash. We can cross compare and see how a lightning flash it looks similar or different, which then informs future sensors that we're, we're trying to build here at Marshall and as well as within the NOAA GeoExo program. I was hoping that was the answer because I brought a prop with me tonight that I thought <laughs> might just get me some brownie points with you. And Loyal Carolina right. with a group uh, viewers might recognize it as one of the swag freebies I got. I went to the Crew 6 launch uh, down at Kennedy and it was, in the, it was in the goodie bag. So I was like, oh, I got to go grab this. <laughs> the other awesome thing is sometimes we can ask astronauts to take photos of storms. And so some of the some of the work that myself and my colleague Dr. Timothy Lang have done is they've taken astronauts have taken photos and we'll take those photos and geolocate them to satellite data and now you can see what the picture looks like on top of the satellite. So we're trying to do some innovative things within NASA. Uh, Chris, uh, my question's a little geekier, I guess. Uh, you said the uh, the data sources here were uh, from the. Uh, go satellites uh, the the gsm uh, and so there's also uh, a component from the uh, from the ground-based lightning networks that go into that as well um, uh, what, what how exactly does that mesh together for you lightning uh, is measured across multiple frequency ranges and so the ground-based networks typically key in on the lower frequencies you get uh, every time there's a lightning flash you get uh, a burst of energy across the spectrum right and so when you, when the lightning occurs, you send out electromagnetic pulses that circle the globe, right? And so these sensors that are on the ground, what they do is they, they measure when the, that wave passes through them, and then they triangulate the position based on the timing of each of the passes, each of the waves passing through. And that's how you get the precision of like the ground networks. For the, the GLM, we're looking at the, the brightness in the near IR channel. And so we're able to see how bright, how big a flash is. And when you combine those, now you're adding physical characteristics and physical understanding of the lightning flash versus just saying, hey, there were this many lightning flashes. And those characteristics typically can tell us something about the storm. Uh, we know that when storms rapidly intensify, they produce a lot more lightning, but it's typically smaller and dimmer. There's also a lot of research that shows that when you're early part of a, of a storm, 
you get a lot of in-cloud lightning. When it's decaying, you get a lot of cloud-to-ground lightning. And so when you're able to combine those, those efforts, you, you're able to fully understand the evolution of the updraft and how the storm is evolving with time. Okay. The other question I had is uh, about the website uh, with the data viewer. There's a, a beta test uh, lightning AI that's there. And I'm curious exactly how that works and, and, uh, and, and what that uh, data actually means. So lightning AI is the product that we're trying to predict lightning out to 15 minutes. Currently, our, our funding is from NASA. And so we're serving all the NASA centers across an emergency management at these NASA centers and anyone who happens to be in the range of those NASA centers. Um, but the point being that we're, we're trying to understand how a predictor like this could impact decision-making. And given that NASA does a lot of great work outside, there's a lot of building, there's a lot of things that happen at each center. We're trying to understand the impact of something that might be able to uh, help people make better decisions earlier and then also have confidence in getting back to work outside, not maybe not having to wait that full 30 minutes. And so our, our, our run right now is we're only we're only doing NASA centers because that's what our, our mission is. And the ultimate goal then is if we do some really great work, hopefully be able to expand it beyond just the NASA centers. Chris, I have one other question, um, which you kind of hit on. I know with a lot of considerations, and again, with the group that I work with, with NASCAR, um, not only, uh, obviously, we focus on cloud to ground, but it seems like there's been a, a big push for cloud to cloud lightning. Can you kind of talk about, for those who may not know that we actually get lightning in the clouds before it actually hits the ground, like what is the importance of seeing a big uptick in cloud to cloud lightning? Cloud to cloud lightning will typically precede any cloud to ground lightning. It's about 80% of the time you'll have an in cloud lightning flash before you see a cloud to ground flash. And those occur as the storm grows vertically and you get a bunch of charge separation and then a small spark will go off and you, you can we can see that. Um, but it, it is typically the precursor uh, if you only have the lightning data available. And like I said, 80% of the time you'll get one of those. And the and typical lead times before the first cloud to ground is on the order of two to five minutes. So you can use in cloud information to then say, okay, this cloud this storm is actively producing lightning, and we can expect some cloud to ground activity here in the next couple of minutes. Furthermore, the in cloud data. Um, so my my background is actually using lightning jumps. Uh, there are rapid increases in the in cloud flash rate, and they predict the onset of sphere potential. So the storm's vertical motion controls the lightning. Storm's vertical motion typically produces or generate or uh, typically um, controls how severe storm can be. And so what we've been able to train the forecasters from the National Weather Service and other agencies. So when you see this rapid increase in the lightning rate, you have more confidence that a storm can become severe. So you couple that with radar and satellite, and now the forecasters are able to key in on different things and be able to be more confident in their decision. Chris, I know we're coming up on time. Was there any part of this that you thought was important to highlight for the public that maybe we didn't ask you about? Again, the lightning safety part, I'm a big lightning safety advocate. Thunder roars go indoors. If it's not raining and you can still hear the thunder that, that you're too close um, and it's personal, right? So part of my job is if there are events happen and they're 
fatalities or injuries, I have to do I like a postmortem on it. And those are painful. Um, I go back to 2016 and uh, that's when we were really tasked with this. There was an event on our sister, on our partner's station, uh, Redstone Arsenal, where a roofer was struck by lightning while trying to install a roof. And then a couple weeks, about a week later, one of the University of Alabama Huntsville meteorology students was struck doing what we all love to do. He was outside his home, watching the storm go by uh, near just west of here in Huntsville. And the only lightning flash that came out the side happened to hit the tree that he was standing under. And so those things that the, they, those things are the things that drive me. Um, and again, if it's not raining, you can hear thunder. Get indoors. Like it's not worth trying to trying to um, you know take a risk because it only takes one. And if it if, and it's just something that we're, I'm super passionate about. Um, and that's why we're trying to improve so that people can make the best decision for them in the moment because it is a tough decision like do i stay out here do i like how when do i go and that and that's what we're trying to provide are some tools that people can make better decisions how are we so far this year on, on lightning fatalities if i'm not mistaken it seems like over the last couple of years it's i don't want to say a good trend but we've seen a kind of like a downward trend it's been better there's been fewer fatalities lately uh, in the last couple of years. We had a little bit of an uptick last year. Um, and um, I can't remember the exact number as of today because there was a couple of incidents over the weekend. Uh, I think the one most recent one was in Nebraska where a rancher was struck while tending to his cattle. But those are the things that take time, just like, just like storm surveys. We don't hear about them immediately all the time. Sometimes they get misreported as cardiac arrest. Um, and, and so it takes time. Um, right now, I'd say we're about on average because we have had, I think, four or five. And then there were some injuries. Uh, there was a, a softball player that was struck uh, or last weekend down near Tuscaloosa. She was at a softball tournament, was sitting under a tent during a storm and got hit. And so, you know, we don't know, we don't have a great idea of the, the magnitude of the injuries either, because not all of them get reported. But, you know, I, 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 I still advocate, you know, if you can hear thunder, get inside. It's not, wait that 30 minutes. We've got some tools out there that can help. I know there's some cell phone apps that have started adding in the year clear time. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep pushing the bounds and getting people the information that they need to make the best decision for themselves. Dr. Chris Schultz, thank you for your time tonight. Before you go, is there a website or a social media platform you wanted to promote uh, where people can go learn more about this? The Lightning Viewer page that uh, I, I can't remember the exact It's link, a long URL. Helps. I could link it in the it's description. Long, right. It, it, it's a long URL, but uh, that's our latest tool and you can play with, there's some add-ins, some slippy maps. We're, we're developing the tool, so it's not like, it's not like radar scope which has been fully developed we are in the research process but it is available it's out there to help people um and you know we we try to keep things on social media as much as possible so sport has a twitter account you can follow at nasa underscore sport um and i'm also on twitter as well c schultz wx and uh that's primarily where i do some some small science 
Uh, and I think that's how Scotty found me. <laughs> yes, that, and I also say, he just tweeted out yesterday, there is a Little Debbie Park. So yes, there you go. You can go to Little Debbie Park and eat you a Swiss roll or an oatmeal cream pie one day. If, if y'all <laughs> watching for lightning. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> if, y'all, if y'all know of Matt Mitchell, he's at Al Ostrich. He's a comedian who lives uh, near, I think, Jasper, Alabama. And so he always talking in some of his comedy skits, he talks about little Debbie and the Christmas trees. And so <laughs> when I saw a colleague post about that, I'm like, we got to get, make sure that <laughs> about it. But you know, that, that would be an area where if you, we are covered. And so if you need the information while you're out enjoying little Debbie park, we have, there we go. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, you got a new Twitter follower tonight. So <laughs> thank you. I've tried to put some small science notes out there. I talk about local weather here in Huntsville and then other things that come my way. So thank you, Chris. And thanks to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Carolina weather group for supporting our show. If you haven't already checked it out, you can go and check that out and get early access to interviews, just like the one we did here tonight with Chris. Chris, thanks for your time again tonight. I know you're super busy and we appreciate all the knowledge you've shared with us. And we will see you back here again real soon for more from the Carolina weather group.